to the Humanity Church Podcast, a place where meaningful conversations around living by faith, being known by love, and becoming a voice of hope are shared with the world every week. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and will join us live on Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, online or at the historic Fox Theater in beautiful downtown Pomona. We also host humanity groups that meet all throughout the city and online to continue the conversation and support you in your ongoing spiritual journey. Find one near you by visiting humanitychurch.com. If you would like to financially support this podcast or the ongoing work at Humanity Church, you can text any donation amount to 84321 and give directly from your phone. Now, here's this week's podcast. So we are talking about the final chapters with David here in his life, and we've been going through an examination of his life as an example for our life. We started with looking at his calling as a young man to become a king, that he was the least expected person to become king, and he was chosen. And now every single one of us have a calling on our life that we may not be aware of, or we resist, or we think, not me, someone else And David is a reflection of what it looks like to step into that calling. We talked about how David became a giant killer. And he didn't start out that way. He started out with lions and bears and how our life is a preparation for the larger moments that we are going to step into. We talked about developing intimate friendships and the art of that and how that's missing for so many of us in our culture today. We, We talked about overcoming jealousy and what that looks like when we're unwilling to do that. We talked about what it looks like to choose a lesser life and to give in to temptation when David found himself engaging in this shadow mission that he found himself on. And last week, we talked about what it looks like when we are ruling our life and ruling our nation with this sense of God's spirit being with us in the middle of this. And here's the thing. We're going through this life not to just examine the life of a really awesome individual. We're going through this because David's life is a mirror for us. And much like David, how many of you notice that we are a pretty mixed bag? That, that we like to define ourselves as black or white, like sinner or saint, good or bad, holy or unholy. And usually we're fine with either category because at least we know who we are. But what we see with David is that there's a mix inside all of us. And the ending of his story proves that once more, at least where we're going to end this here. Now, here's the thing. How many of you come from families that are drama If they're sitting next to you, it's okay. You can raise your hand, all right? How many of you came from, like, some pretty healthy families? Yes? How many of you came from, like, a mix? You're like, sometimes they were drama, sometimes they're all right, sometimes they're crazy, sometimes they're loving. Yeah, absolutely. We we all have that. David's family was a bit of drama. And he came from a family that was filled with all kinds of chaos, all kinds of family drama, all kinds of interesting things that happened in there. Some, so much drama that we don't even have time to get all into it today. Like so much drama that we're going to have to skip most of it to get to the highlights of the drama that's in here. Now, this conversation is in the context of David's family, and it may be a mirror for your family, but I'm also going to ask you to consider all the other familial relationships that you have. In other words, your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, all the networks of relationships that you live in, this can certainly connect to that. This conversation is less about blood relatives, and it's about the relational dynamics that we live in, and specifically a relational dynamic that almost always leads to a breakdown in the relationship, and will almost always lead to some kind of death in the relationship. And just mind you, there's going to be some hot topics this morning, so you might be aware of that as we dive into this. So I'm going to to jump into this conversation. In 2 Samuel, starting in verse 13, verse 1, 
it's talking about David and his sons and daughters, specifically two sons, Amnon and Absalom, and his daughter Tamar. And it says this, In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Now, when I read this, I was like, wait a minute, hold on, family tree. This is like the nice way of saying he was in love with his sister. (laughs) So he was saying, here's Amnon who is in love with the sister of David's son, Absalom, which you can get the picture here. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now, Amnon had an advisor named Jonabad, son of Simea, David's brother. Jonabad was a very shrewd man. He asked Amnon, why do you, the king's son, look so haggard in the morning after morning? That's like a good friend, right? You look bad, dude, every single morning. Won't you tell me? And Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Go to bed and pretend to be ill. Jonabab said, when your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like to see my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. So you can probably guess where this is headed. And the scriptures actually say that Amnon eventually rapes his sister and then is so angry at her for the situation that he sends her off. He basically casts her out of his home after he's taken advantage of her in this moment. And he's furious with her that she would not accept him in this space. And it ends with this in 2 Samuel 13, starting at verse 18. It says, so his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. She was wearing an ornate robe, for this was the kind of garment that the virgin daughters of the king wore. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take things to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. Then King David heard all this, and he was furious. And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. How many of you, friend, you notice your, your family is drama, but how many of you notice that your family has secrets? The things that you're just not supposed to talk about. Or the things that everyone knows, but you've just agreed. We don't talk about these things in our family. They might not be a secret like David's family secret, like a big one that's in the room with them, but it could be other secrets. It could be things that people struggle with, like, hey, we don't talk about our uncle's addiction, or we don't talk about so-and-so's mental health, or we don't really engage those conversations as a family or as a community or as a friend group. It could be a chronic bad decision-making that someone has They're just like, yeah, we don't talk about that. We just let them do what they're going to do. We don't really need to address that here. It could be actions that others have taken in the past that everyone just says, yeah, let's just sweep that under the rug and not really engage what's happening over there. It could be a conflict between two people, and you're like, ha, ha, just get along, whatever it may be. Every circle, every network, every family usually has some secrets, some things that we're just not willing to address that we sweep under the rug that no one talks about. In fact, if you've ever been married, you know that part of being married is learning the family secrets of your in-laws. You know what I'm talking about? And you all of a sudden bring something up at the dinner table and you realize you just stepped in a landmine 
because in that family circle, we don't talk about those things. I remember Marla and I both found ourselves in those places at times where she would bring stuff up and I'd be like, don't talk about that, don't talk about that. (laughs) Or whatever it may be, back and forth in this, because every relational network has some type of thing that we don't talk about or we don't address or we don't engage in either intentionally or unintentionally because we've all just decided it's better to not look at this and have the conversation. See, here, David and Absalom and Tamar are entangled in this family mess that Amnon has stepped into. And it ends with Tamar, who is a wreck over here. David is furious. Absalom is living in hatred. And Amnon is living in guilt and alone and angry as well. So the family is all isolated from one another in this context. And I actually think that there is one of the most dangerous relational phrases that any of us could ever step into hidden in this passage here. And it says this. Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. That he just remained silent about what was going on. See, he he was like, look, I'm not going to talk trash about the dude. And I'm also not going to encourage him or tell him what's going on. I'm just going to be silent. I'm going to be neutral. I'm going to be Switzerland. And let me just tell you that apathy is one of the most dangerous places to be in a relationship. Specifically when it comes to what's taking place in the lives of everyone else around us. See, here's the thing. You can work with anger. You can work with angry outbursts because you can actually direct anger. Anger actually informs you, oh, I still care. There's actually still something inside of me that wants to engage this, that wants to to move this forward. So anger, you can work with. You can even work with extreme flattery and brown nosing and ignoring this over here because at least you're still in and you can still move the relationship back and forth where you need to, but you cannot do much with silence. You cannot do much with withheld communication and being unwilling to engage the conversation that needs to be engaged. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? Just the things that you're like, yeah, we've just decided that we don't talk about these things. And the crazy thing is that everyone in the family, everyone at work, everyone in the circle of friends knows that there's an elephant in the room. Everyone knows it. It's like it's sitting there. It's with us every time we're around it. We have to dance around it. We have to reorganize ourselves to not talk about this. We have to go out of our way, spend extra energy to make sure we do not bump into the elephant. But it's there, and no one addresses the elephant. No one addresses the alcoholism. No one addresses the bad decision-making over there. No one addresses the attitude that is tearing relationships apart. No one addresses the neediness over there that is repulsing other people. No one addresses the the way of relating in the family or the overspending or the credit card debt or the anger or the family secrets or whatever it may be. We're just silent. And we find ourselves saying, I'm not going to say anything bad, but I'm not really going to say anything good either. And I'm just going to choose to withhold in the middle of this. See, the the question is, why do we go silent? See, I I found that we usually withhold our communication in relationship, usually for one of two reasons that that we find ourselves in. And, And maybe there's both mixed, but you can probably find yourself in one or the other of these. See, the first reason why we oftentimes withhold the communication that is needed to have this relationship turn out or to address the elephant in the room is that we we feel like we're too loyal to the person. I'm so loyal to this person. I care about them so much 
that I do not want to have this conversation because it might hurt them in some way. That if I have this conversation, if I bring this up, it's going to harm them, it's going to hurt them, they're going to fall apart, they're going to be destroyed, and so I don't really want to have the conversation. So I see them falling off a cliff relationally. I see them falling off a cliff with their health or their emotional well-being. I see that they have really isolated themselves from every single other person in the world around them, but it might hurt their feelings if I say something. So I care about them so much. And I'm just going to let it be. And it's usually cloaked in all kinds of like self-flattering thoughts inside of our heads. Like, well, you know, I, I, I'm just going to take care of them. Or, you know what, I'm, just the, I'm the one who gives grace. I'm going to give them some grace. And I'm going to be so gracious that I'm just not even going to address it. Or we find ourselves saying like, well, you know, who am I to judge so I don't really need to address this conversation over here that needs to be had. And the reality is, is that it's less in this space about care for the other person and more about maintaining our own level of comfort. Yeah. That we would much rather be comfortable in the relationship than engage what the conversation that actually needs to be had over there. It's usually about our not wanting to get awkward, to get messy, or to step into those painful spaces, and then we call it care. Or the other person. Proverbs 27.6 says this, a wound from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. See, when we pretend that everything's fine when it isn't, when we refuse to have the conversation necessary, when we refuse to engage what's there, the scriptures actually say that it is not a neutral act, that we actually become the enemy in the relationship. That we are no longer in care for that person. We are now an adversary working against them. And that we would rather kiss them with lies than wound them with the reality of what's taking place around them. And what's taking place inside of them and in them. See, you might think to yourself, how many of you have ever found yourself there? I know I have, where I think to myself, well, I'm not lying to them. I'm just not telling them what's up. I'm not going to, like, if they bring it up, I wouldn't lie to them, but I'm just not going to freely share what I'm seeing over here and the way that their life is falling apart and becoming a mess over there. See, like David and Absalom, they were furious. It actually says that they were filled with hatred for their brother and the situation, and they just chose silence. Not good, not bad, just Silence. And look, maybe you have all the excuses in the world as to why you're such a good friend that you would not need to have this conversation. But here's the thing. It just guarantees that there is no possibility for something new. That when we say, I'm so loyal that I will not have this conversation, it actually guarantees a future that is exponentially worse than where you're currently at. See, there's a deceit in it. And we pretend there is trust or that there is intimacy when there actually isn't. It becomes a block for all of that in the relationship. And here's the thing. We think that we just have it withheld over here, like I'm just holding it back and it's not really impacting everything. But the fact of the matter is, is that we are leaky vessels. Have you noticed that? That when we hold on to these conversations, when we're unwilling to have them for the sake of the other, they just start leaking in all kinds of passive-aggressive ways. They text and we're like, yeah, I'll text them back later. They call, we're like, yeah, I'm busy. 
that there's opportunity to have really intimate conversations to connect and grow and we find ourselves at a distance because we really don't want to get into the mess, into the weeds, into the entanglement of that. See, in this, we actually become the enemy. And every time you're with them, the thing is between you. So, so there's only so much intimacy, so much love, so much trust, so much connection that's actually available and we're just smiling while they drive their life off the cliff. And we're doing it all in the name of care and concern when actually comfort is the most important thing for us in the relationship. So usually one of the reasons why we withhold our communication is because we're quote-unquote loyal and quote-unquote care. But I find the other reason, which is oftentimes mixed in there and shows up more frequently, is that we withhold communication out of fear of what's going to happen if I actually address this conversation. What's going to happen if I actually say, hey, can we talk about the elephant in the room? Can we talk about the thing that no one else is talking about? There's a lot of things to be afraid of. There's a fear of the person's response, like I might lose the relationship or they might blow up on me. There's a fear of losing the the boat that we are living in, like, hey, I don't want to rock the friend circle. I don't want to mess up the family dynamics. I don't want to mess up the stasis that we have. It's not great, but at least it's something. It's not chaotic. I can manage this. I might lose control in the relationship if I have this conversation. And so out of fear, we allow the fear to dictate our conversation and our willingness to intervene out of love for that person. Because I'm so afraid of what might happen in that moment. And here's, have you noticed this, is that in those moments we start imagining a future that is awful, that is not yet to come. And have you noticed that when we start imagining that future, aka worry and fear, that it's always the worst case scenario? Have you noticed that? Like, I'm going to bring this up, and they're going to get so angry that they're going to take a knife out and kill me or something. You know, like, I've talked to people where I'm like, hey, why aren't you having that conversation? Well, I'm afraid that they're going to do something really rash. And I'm like, yeah, they might. But do you notice how you just went to worst-case scenario right there? (laughs) How you went immediately to all of the possible things that could happen. And here's the thing. We lie to ourselves saying that this imaginary future is way worse than the future that's coming if we don't say anything. We say, look, if I say something, it's going to create this awful future, but if I don't say anything, it's going to create this, like, little messy future that's easier. And let me just tell you, that is almost always a lie. That is almost always a deception. We lie to ourselves in that way. See, the reality is the future might look bleak if you have the conversation, You might lose the relationship if you have the conversation. You might rock the relational structure that everyone's in if you have the conversation. But the reality is, is that if you don't have the conversation, you are guaranteed to lose the relationship. If you don't have the conversation, you are guaranteed a breakdown and destruction in the network of relationships that you live in in this space. See, the reality is, is that if you do not address the elephant in the room and everyone just pretends it's not there, someone's going to get trampled on either you or them, and chances are both in the middle of this. See, because here's how the story actually ends here. In 2 Samuel 13, 23 through 29, it says, two two years later, two years have gone by, when Absalom's sheep shearers were at Baal-zor near the border of Ephraim, he invited all the king's sons to come there. Absalom went to the king and said, your servant has shears. Come. Will the king and his attendants please join me? No, my son, the king replied. All of us should not go. We would only be a burden to you. Although Absalom urged him, he still refused to go but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, if not, please let my brother Amnon come with us. 
And the king said, why should he go with you? But Absalom urged him, so he sent with him Amnon and the rest of the king's son. Absalom ordered his men, listen, when Amnon is in high spirits from drinking wine, and I say to you, strike Amnon down, then kill him. Don't be afraid. Haven't I given you this order? Be strong and brave. So Absalom's men did to Amnon what Absalom had ordered, and then the king's sons got up, mounted their mules, and fled. So here, while Amnon is drunk, Absalom has him murdered. David actually gets the wrong word. He he actually gets a word back saying, all of your sons have been murdered. He's weeping in his castle, and then he finds out, oh, it's it's just Amnon. It's just Amnon who was murdered. He's slightly relieved, but then this is what happens when Absalom finds out that his dad knows he killed his brother. It says, Absalom fled and went to Talmai, son of Amidud, the king of Jeshur. But King David mourned many days for his son. After Absalom fled and went to Geshur, he stayed there three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he was consoled concerning Amnon's death. So now there's a breakdown of the relationship for five years, and a son is murdered. See, David longed for Absalom. He longed for him. He's like, hey, I want to, I, now I want to repair my relationship with Absalom. I know he just murdered my other son, but I guess there's good reason for it. He longed for it. He said nothing, and now three years pass. The relationship is in complete breakdown. See, this is what happens when we withhold addressing the conflict, when we withhold our feelings, when we withhold what's true for us, is that time goes on and we find ourselves in continual breakdown of the relationship. Now, you may say, well, I'm not disconnected from this person. Yes, you may not be physically disconnected like David and Absalom, but you're emotionally disconnected. And you're growing apart and further apart as the conversation is being unwilling to be had. Now, here's the thing. Joab, David's assistant, comes to him and basically says, look, please, please go see Absalom. It's been been five years now. Would you please go see him? And David, in his apathy, says, well, Absalom can come back, but he has to stay in his own house, and I don't want to see him. Like, I'll let you get so close, but I'm not going to let you in. See, this is what apathy does. This is when we're unwilling to have the conversation. This is what it does. It says, I'll let you so close, but you don't get to be in my house. So while we're in the same city together, we're actually miles apart from one another. See, there might be some people who live in the same house as you, and you might as well be miles apart from one another in this space. And this is how the story ends in 2 Samuel 14, 28 through 23. Absalom lived two years in Jerusalem, so now we're seven years into this thing, without seeing the king, his father's face. Then Absalom sent for Joab in order to send him to the king, but Joab refused to come to him, so he sent a second time, but he refused to come. Then he said to his servant, look, Joab's field is next to mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. Drama, Right? So Absalom's servant set the field on fire. And then Joab did go to Absalom's house and he said to him, why have your servants set my field on fire? Now here's the thing. Here's the thing that I noticed what happened is when there is radio silence in the relationship, when everyone is just at a standstill, we're not gonna talk about this, la, la, la. We start communicating with, other, with one another in passive, aggressive ways. Like, hey, I can't get across to you. I can't have a conversation with you. So I'm going to go ahead and burn down your servant's field to get attention over here, to get your attention over here. See, I wonder for how many of us there are relational fields burning all around us of people saying, would you please have the conversation? 
Would you please address the elephant in the room? Would you please be willing to uncover this secret that has been kept in the dark for sometimes generations so we can address what's taking place in the relationship here? And it says, Absalom said to Joab, look, I sent word to you and said, come here so I can send you to the king to ask, why have I come here to Geshur? It would be better for me if I were still there. So Absalom's saying, look, I just want to see my dad. Would it be better for me if I were still here? Now then, I want to see the king's face. And if I am guilty of anything, let him put me to death. So Joab went to the king and told him this. Then the king summoned Absalom, and he came in and bowed down with his face to the ground before the king. And the king kissed Absalom. See, here's the end result of this whole relational structure being unwilling to just have the, conversa- the one conversation about what took place seven years ago. Yeah. Is that it ends with one son murdered, an estrangement of the family for seven years. It took Absalom burning down a field just to get to see his father. And look... This ending here is not the happy ending that we assume it is with father and son reunited in this place. See, Absalom is not returning to his father to repent and make amends. He's basically forcing his dad's hand and saying, hey, if you're not going to talk to me, I'm going to force you to talk to me. And we're actually going to have this conversation out. And he basically is like, look, I'm not going to live in the same city with you and have all this unspoken conversation here. And David is so shut down that he just comes up to his son who's lying on the ground saying, kill me or accept me. And David just kisses him. And this is what he would do with any other court official. Like, hey, I accept you. Bye. He's still in a space where he's just like, yeah, I'm unwilling to have the conversation necessary to turn this thing out. This is not a warm family embrace at the end. This is an awkward, cold, disconnected, resentful, bitter moment. And this is how the story ends. See, this is the end result of all the lying of all the cover-ups, of all the withholds, of all the apathy, of all the unwillingness to have the conversation either out of loyalty or fear, is at the end, people end up dead. Maybe not physically, maybe not physically, but certainly emotionally. And the relationship eventually finds itself in atrophy. See, we may think that it's way scarier to address the elephant in the room to have the conversation, to bring things into the light, but the reality is is that it is horrifying not to, that this is the absolute guaranteed end. See, you can live in fear of the elephant in the room with the relationship, and you can pretend it's not there. And you know how kids, they'll like be in the dark, and then they're afraid of the dark, so they pull their covers over their head, and they're like, it's not here, it's not here. The dark's still there. In fact, it makes it more dark when they cover themselves up with a blanket, but they're just like, I don't want to address the reality that's here. See, not to address the elephant in the room is to guarantee that someone gets hurt in the process. See, I wonder how many of our relationships have ended up the way David and Absalom's has or that that's where they're headed. Like, that's the guaranteed future that's coming if we're unwilling to just have the conversation necessary. Passionless, lacking intimacy, void of vulnerability, living in the same city, the same house, the same country, but you might as well be light years apart from one another because there's no connection in it. 
because we say we're either too loyal or we're too afraid of the conversation. And as you keep reading the story, it gets absolutely worse. Generation after generation, this way of relating gets passed down, and David's family line is now filled with murder and backstabbing and dysfunction and chaos. That had David and Absalom just been willing to have a conversation about what took place with Tamar and Amnon, the future would look dramatically different. Had David just said, hey, we're going to address this. Call the family together. I refuse to have this legacy. I refuse to let this be our future. I refuse to let our family go on in this type of dysfunction and this type of hopelessness and this type of breakdown. See, in that scenario, Tamar probably would not have been left destitute. Amnon wouldn't have been murdered. Absalom and David would have, wouldn't have spent seven years disconnected from one another. And the relationship wouldn't have ended in a forced hand to simply see each other. And we assume by not addressing the original infraction, it will just go away. How many of you told yourself that? Like, if we don't address it, it'll just go away. It'll take care of itself. There's been years on it. I have miles down the road from where that has been. That if we move on, if we shove it down, if we keep it secret, then we don't have to deal with it. The trouble is, is what happens is that the pain of the original infraction is still there. But now it's just compounded with all of the hiding and the secrets and the cover-ups and the unwillingness to just have the conversation. And it ends up in a future that you actually did not have to have had you just been willing to have the conversation. I can't tell you how many times I've sat with married couples in our home who are in like a process of divorcing or very close to it. And I can't tell you almost every single time there's a conversation around where did this begin? Tell me, like, the progress of how you got here. Because here's what I've found is that most people don't just wake up one day and say, hey, I'm going to get a divorce. And I can tell you nine times out of ten, it started with something really small over here that the couple was just unwilling to address. I mean, I'm telling you, it started with small things like he kept his shoes out or she didn't put the dishes away or she said that snide remark and then I kept account of it, and then I kept tracking how many times she made that snide remark. Yeah. Or, or he was unfaithful in not necessarily our relationship, but he was unfaithful in what he said he was going to do. He was late. He didn't show up. He said he was going to be emotionally available, and he wasn't. I started keeping score rather than having the conversation. And now we're having a conversation that feels unsolvable. When had the conversation over here been had, we wouldn't even be here. And this is what happens in the relationship. It just compounds and compounds and compounds until we find ourselves in complete breakdown. And this is why in our community, even with our team and our leadership, we have this 48-hour rule where we say, look, if you're needing to have a conversation with someone, if you come to me or come to someone else and say, hey, I'm in this breakdown or this thing happened or I'm frustrated or I'm angry or I'm resentful with this person, it's like, look, you have 48 hours to go talk to that person. And in 48 hours, I'm just going to check in and say, did you have this conversation with this person, with the person? And if you said, no, great, then I will let you know you need to go have a conversation with them. Because, look, it is rarely major blow-ups that just happen out of nowhere that kill the relationship. That happens every now and then. 
But it's oftentimes in the beginning, the conversations that we are unwilling to have over and over and over again. Now, here's the bad news. Relationships are messy, period. I know that's really bad news for some of you because you keep looking for the relationship that's not messy. But all relationships are messy. There's no getting out of that reality. There's no getting out of the reality that there is going to be breakdown and there are going to be people who let you down and there are going to be people who do screwy things and there are going to be people even in your family who are going to engage in actions and thoughts and activities that will hurt you, especially the closer you get to them. But here's the thing, you don't get out of that. You don't have a choice in that reality here. What you do have control in is your willingness to intervene, to have the conversation, to actually say, no, I, I get it. I get that this is messy, but I'm willing to step into this and engage it here and now, to be the one that chooses to bring order to all of the chaos that we find ourselves in. The one that's willing to say, hey, I refuse to let this be the legacy for my family, for my friends, for my community. I refuse to let this end in relational death. I just refuse. And that speaking up in love, that the truth will open up new possibilities that were not there before in the middle of this, that it will actually be the pathway for healing in the relationship. See, I, I have a hard time believing that had David and Absalom not had the conversation, that it wouldn't have turned out the way it did. That, that there would have been a new future available to them. Look, Amnon made his choice. No one has control over that. That's no one's responsibility but his in the relationship. But the rest, what the rest of the family did with it was absolutely theirs. And it determined the trajectory of their entire family future. There's this passage in Zechariah where God's talking about how he longs for us to be with one another. And he says this, he says, these are the things that you are to do. Speak the truth to each other and render true and sound judgment in courts in our relationships with one another. Do not plot evil against each other and do not love to swear falsely. Don't love to lie to one another. I hate this, declares the Lord. Not because he hates liars or because he hates whatever, because he hates the fruit of it. He's like, I hate how this will break down the relationship. So bringing all of these things into the light so that they can be sorted is what God calls us into. He calls us to have the courage to speak up. Even if it means disrupting the family system and saying, hey, this might get, look messy. I don't know how this is going to turn out. People may be mad at me for a little while. But here's the thing. I am willing to do that because it is never the thing that we keep secret that leads to death. It's the keeping of the secret that leads to death. It is never the action that we decide needs to be covered up that leads to death. It is in the act of withholding and keeping things in the dark and saying, I refuse to engage out of loyalty or fear that eventually kills the relationship. But when we bring things into the light, now there's possibility for healings. You cannot transform anything that you cannot see first or that you are unwilling to see in the relationship. So as we close up this conversation about David, let this be a reminder to us. Let's be those who bring things into the light, who have the courage to say, look, this might disrupt the family, 
It might disrupt the friend circle. It might disrupt the workspace. It might disrupt our relationship. But I am willing to bring these things into the light that we might be those who are courageous enough to step into those spaces, who chose the possibility of life over the future of our relationships rather than death. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are a God who refuses to keep things in the dark with us. That out of love and care and concern that you speak into our lives and, and constantly inform us of where we are needing hope in a future. And God, I ask that you would call us to be the same, to do the same, God. That we might have the relationships that we long for as a result of our being willing to courageously step into those conversations. That a sign of our faith in you might be that we are those who say, I'm willing to address it. I will have whatever conversation necessary. I will rock the boat. I will chance rejection. I will chance it being awkward to have that conversation so that this could turn out and that God might show that he is faithful over and over and over again. And right now, I just want you to think about maybe those relationships where you've chosen silence over needing to address. Could be a family member. Could be, could be something in the family that you like. Every, no one talks about this, and we all just have decided that we're not going to address it. It could be a friend. It could be a coworker. It could be a son or a daughter. It could be someone very close to you. But right now in your heart, I'd like for you just to pause and just to hear from God about what he would have you do. My guess is that he's not calling you to keep that secret still, to keep the family secret, to settle for the little that you have, but I imagine right now that he's calling you into some type of engagement. And if that's you right now, I just pray that God would grant you the courage to have the conversation, to transform the future for you, your family, your coworkers, your friends, the people you say you love there will be new futures created as a result of us being willing out of love to speak the truth. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope that it was a meaningful experience and look forward to having you listen in next week for another conversation from the heart and soul of Humanity Church. You can find more information about our community at www.humanitychurch.com.